Acts chapter 18. The scripture we started with tonight in 2 Peter 1 lays before us all these things we should be making every effort to add to our faith. And then in verse 8 it says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, it is quite possible to be ineffective and unfruitful in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's therefore then possible for us to be more effective and more fruitful. That has been the impetus and the thought behind our study for our summer Sunday evenings to be strengthening our serve, uh, the serve of uh, our hearts and lives to our Lord. This will be what we are evaluated on by our Lord and Master when he returns, we enter into his presence, his first words, if it be words of commendation, will be well done, good and faithful servant, right? This is what you are. It's who you are. You're a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you should be thoughtful, cognizant of, and ever increasing in your desire to be a better servant. And so we've laid out for you in the series this summer and continue to do so through the month of September several uh, pictures of good servants, of faithful servants. What can we learn from their lives, their ministries, their efforts for our Lord that made them commendable from our Lord to us? And we come tonight to the life of Apollos. I've long been intrigued by this man. I've been captured by one phrase in particular in Acts 18, that he was mighty in the scriptures. We'll get to that here in a little bit, but I wanted to spend a few minutes considering the reality of Apollos and his ministry uh, to our Lord. He is a mere cameo on the canvas of redemptive history. He just appears briefly, a little bit of a blip here in Acts 18, and, and then into 19. He is in Ephesus. That's where his ministry that we'll read about tonight happens, and he heads over to Achaia, which is where Corinth is, and spends a lot of time there, we know that from the book of 1 Corinthians where Paul writes and commends really the ministry of Apollos and uh, defends the, the real nature of Apollos as a servant of the Lord. Who, who's Paul? Who's Apollos? He says, we're merely servants of the Lord. Where are you, who are you to say, I am of Paul, I am of, of Apollos? We are all merely servants. Paul planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase, that text. So obviously Apollos has some kind of effective ministry in the early church, in Ephesus, in Corinth, and likely in other places. So I want to spend a few minutes looking at his life in Acts 18. As we look at this account, I want you to see and remind yourself again of the transitory nature of the book of Acts. It's a, a history, an accounting in real time of the people of God coming out of Judaism Old Testament, Old Covenant religion to a true and understanding of New Covenant grace secured for them in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're in transition in the book of Acts. And so often Paul goes into the city and he goes to the synagogue and preaches in the Jewish synagogue where they're practicing the Jewish religion according to the Old Testament. And he argues with them there about the realities of Christ. And we see that again here in our text in Acts 18. And it's a series of transition out of the Jewish community, the, the Judaistic religion, into the church and the formation of the church in the entirety of the world. We read tonight of a man named Apollos, which is a, a Hellenistic Jewish name, meaning it's a, a, a name given to a Jewish son in a Greek-speaking environment. And we know that for sure because he's from Alexandria. Alexandria 
is the massive city in Egypt right on the mouth of the, the Nile as it reaches into the Mediterranean. It's a cosmopolitan city. It's the, the Roman seat of the empire in Egypt is in Alexandria. Uh, there's a massive Jewish community in Alexandria in the first century. Philo, the Jewish uh, philosopher and historian at the time of Jesus, writing from Alexandria, grew up in Alexandria, said that of the five sections of the city, one and almost two of them were full of Jews. So it was a, it was a massive Jewish presence in Alexandria, Greek-speaking Jewish people, worshiping the God of the Old Testament while also inculcated with the Greco-Roman world in the cosmopolitan city of Alexandria. It's a vastly important, Alexandria was a vastly important center for learning and culture. Having this massive Jewish population, they mixed in with the Greco-Roman philosophers. Uh, it was an important center for learning and for culture. Uh, the Jewish philosophers, I mentioned already, Philo, uh, was alive during the time of Christ and sought to view and interpret the scriptures, the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures, through the lens of Greco-Roman thought, and, and particularly of Platonic thought, of, of the dualism of Plato, uh, and the allegorical approach that he learned from Plato, he brought to the Old Testament scriptures uh, in that school in Alexandria in the next 50, 75, 100 years would come Origen, uh, whose influence over the church still has dramatic impact in so many spheres of an allegorical approach, particularly as it comes to prophetic texts. But it's in that city that Apollos has his upbringing and his education. Alexandria has the, the biggest library uh, on the face of the planet at the time, housing at its height from 700 to 900,000 copies of books or scrolls. In the ancient world, that's a massive, massive library. It's the epicenter of learning in the ancient world, and Apollos comes out of that training uh, to Ephesus. I think there's much we can learn from the example of Apollos as he is an encouraging and bold witness. Acts 18 verse 24 tells us this. Luke says this. Now a man, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. I want to take a few minutes and explain to you the nine marks that I see in Apollos' life and ministry of his good service to the Lord. You just heard nine marks. You all took a deep breath. Well, we're going to be here for a while. Buckle up. Here we go. I'm just kidding. We will go quickly through them. I think the, the combination of all nine of them paint an overwhelming, encouraging picture of a man set on fire by the grace of Christ for the service of Christ. I hope that you catch that tonight, and it fuels your desire to be well used by your Lord, strengthened in your service to him. The first mark is that he was gifted in verse 24. He was gifted. The ESV says he was eloquent. The NIV says he was a learned man. It translates a word that indicates someone being trained and then being well-spoken in light of their training, but it's more than that. 
It also communicates someone who's been given an inherent gift, an aspect of their personality and their gifting from the Holy Spirit to speak well. We find out from Apollos' life that he was well-spoken, especially in front of people as a teacher of the truth, gifted by the Spirit of Christ to bless the church of Christ as a teacher of the Word of Christ. He was gifted by God. He's likely trained in the skills of rhetoric and public debate in the schools of Alexandria. Uh, and, and that's one thing in the Greco-Roman world. It's a whole another level in the Jewish Greco-Roman world. Jews know how to debate, especially Jewish rabbis. Their skills of logic far surpass any other religious system that I'm aware of outside of the scriptures. They're so quick on their feet and able to make a good argument with words of wisdom, which is partly why Paul goes into his account in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, saying to them, I did not come to you with words of wisdom, with eloquent speech, to convince you by my ability to speak to you of the gospel. Rather, I came to you with the power of the glory of the cross. So it was in and through Paul's own weakness, a man who is in person not very overwhelming, actually quite underwhelming, with his weepy eye issue, if that's indeed what the problem was. Not someone that you enjoyed looking at or hearing from, but who came with the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and overwhelmed all the arguments, defeated and tore down man's wisdom and reasoning through well-defined arguments of the gospel of Jesus. I think what we see in Apollos is a, a little bit of the background of the statements made by Paul in 1 Corinthians that he didn't come with that eloquent speech like Apollos did. Now, he never links it directly to Apollos, and he means much more than that because the Corinthians love to hear uh, eloquent speech with words of wisdom. He's speaking to more than that, but he also seems to be drawing somewhat of a distinction between him and Apollos. He is not one gifted in speech like Apollos was. The idea I get from the combination of Acts 18 and 1 Corinthians 1 is that Apollos was a very gifted man and yet a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is exactly what Paul says, commends him as a fellow servant. That was Apollos' heart and desire. So Paul can say in chapter 3, who is Paul? Who is Apollos? They're no one. They're servants of the Lord. Paul planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. But it seems obvious from both texts together that Apollos was uniquely gifted as a servant. And I want you to know tonight that you are as well. You may not be Apollos. In fact, none of us are, given eloquent speech for teaching the body of Christ. But you have been uniquely gifted by the Spirit of Christ for the sake of serving the body of Christ. The Spirit of God has looked upon your life and put into you something that can be used in the church to bless and edify others. He's given you an aspect of his grace. Grace gifts, Paul calls them in Romans 12. Uniquely designing you and training you and equipping you and launching you to serve in the body with that gift. Just like Apollos, you are gifted servants marked by the gift of the Spirit of God upon you. And how did Paul, Apollos handle that? He, Paul and Apollos, it's hard to get those two things straight. 
How did Apollos handle his gifting from the Spirit of God? Did he hold on to it as something to use for his own good, to create a platform within the body for his own glory? Of course not. This Jew from Alexandria finds himself up in modern-day Turkey in the city of Ephesus. Why he went there and what he was doing, I don't know. Other than that, he seems to be compelled by the gospel of Jesus. With the current level of knowledge he has of the truth about Christ, he is an itinerant, traveling teacher of the word of God. He's concerned for his people, the Jews, in Hellenistic places like Ephesus and Corinth. He wants to debunk them of the thoughts of Old Testament scriptures not pointing forward to a suffering Messiah. And so he's taken it upon himself to take the, the message of Jesus around the world. He is going to use his gift to the utmost of his ability. He's gifted. He's also mighty in the scriptures. This is the, the word or the phrase that caught my attention every time, it catches my attention every time I read Acts 18, unless I'm reading the ESV, which says competent in the scriptures. Come on, ESV. Now, it does mean that, to be fair to them. The, the word does mean someone who's competent or as the, the net version says, well-versed, or the NIV had a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. But mighty in the Scriptures sounds so much better, right? So the Nazbi, the King James, they get it right. The Greek word is, is dunatos. The whole phrase is dunatos on ein tais grafes, the writings, the Scriptures. Mighty or able in the writings, in the Scriptures. It's a word used to speak, dunatos is, is a word used to speak of someone who has the ability or the power, used to describe able-bodied men who can do the work of, of the task, of, of the occupation that it requires of them. It's used of ships to describe them as fit for service. It's used in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26, where Paul reminds the Corinthian believers, remember your calling, brothers. Not many of you were dunatos, mighty, and he means particularly as it pertains to wealth or influence. They weren't able to have a lot of money or a lot of influence. They were not mighty. It's the idea of competence or ability. It's not the result of gifting, but of good old-fashioned elbow grease. Worked out over years of hard work in the scriptures. It communicates that Apollos was a master student of the word. Committing himself constantly to the scriptures. He was mighty in his knowledge of and his grasp of and his retention of the scriptures. It seems quite obvious that this then captures Apollos, his life, his ministry, and his attention. As you look at his ministry, he is nothing if he is not a master of the word. Right? None of the rest of, of Acts 18 happens if Apollos is not mighty in the scriptures. He can't be the servant well used in Ephesus or in Corinth if he is not competent, thoroughly versed in the scriptures. From that fountainhead of a thorough knowledge of the word, Apollos has blessed in his, he has a blessed ministry to the church. And I would argue tonight that the same is true for you. And for me, I know this is ABC stuff of Christianity, but I want to encourage you with it again. To the level that you are a person, a student of the book, a Christian who keeps your nose in the scriptures and becomes mighty in your understanding of them, who is building precept upon precept in your knowledge of the clear revelation of Christ throughout 
Genesis to Revelation will be the extent to which you are useful and helpful servants in the body of Christ. You say, yeah, but my, my gift of the Spirit, my gift of grace is, is that of, of service. I'm a behind-the-scenes servant. You will be a much more effective servant behind the scenes the more you know the Word, the more you know how to serve, the more you understand that service tied to grace given to you in Christ. It's from this fountainhead of the thorough knowledge of the Word that all of our ministry flows and has its Effect. Now, you know I'm not saying that everyone has to have some high-level seminary degree to be useful to the Lord. That is obviously not true. But to whatever level you can pursue greater knowledge of the Word, then be fervent, be fastidious, be zealous, be unremitting, be unrelenting students of the Word. Never put it down. Never let it go. Never let up. Run to the Word day in and day out. Make it your habit and your practice. Do what the Scriptures tell you to do with the Scriptures, to cherish them and to love them, to read them and to memorize them, to meditate on them, to speak of them to others, to fellowship around them, to edify one another with them. Everything is built upon the Scriptures in the servant of Christ and in the church of Christ. It's like Paul says to Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God, rightly handling the word of truth. Brother, sister, you can be a more effective servant the more you grow in your understanding of the word of God, the more you grasp of it. And the more you grasp of it is dependent upon your effort in it. So as you think about your reading of the word, you think about your study of the word, you think about your memorization of the word, your meditation on the word, your listening to the word. You don't become mighty in scriptures because you spend five minutes a day reading a little morsel of truth and going on about your way. You don't become mighty in scripture by coming to one service a week and kind of somewhat listening to the scriptures explained and then going your merry way. No, you become students of the Scripture, mighty in the Scriptures by giving yourself completely and entirely and repeatedly in all humility and a spirit of teachability under the clear, accurate, deep, and thorough knowledge of the Word of God. This is not meant in any way to guilt you into this. It's to encourage you. That your effectiveness as a servant of God is directly linked to your grasp of the truth of God. No generation that has ever existed has had more access points to the word of God than you do. You can get the word of God into your heart in more ways today than any generation has ever been able to do. You have access to more teachers of the Word of God and, and more studies of the Word of God than has ever been available to any generation of all time. And if you are like me, it is easy to be complacent about that, to be apathetic about that, to be overwhelmed by the amount and to just hit cruise control and try to get through the day. Can I encourage you from the example of Apollos to be seeking to be mighty in the Scriptures Day after day, 
precept upon precept, truth upon truth, study upon study, be well versed in the word. Young people, what are you going to set your trajectory of life on to be well versed in right now? You set patterns now that will bear fruit in 30 years. You understand that? You're sowing seeds now that you will reap in 30 years. You want to know all the sports facts of all the major sporting teams now? You'll remember some of that in 30 years. You want to be mighty in some occupation or some uh, level or area of training? Or some family history or politics or whatever it is? Can I say to all of us, let's be well-versed in that which matters most. The scriptures. We need to know some of those things, but goodness, we need to know the word more than anything else. Let's give ourselves to the word of God to be mighty in the scriptures. I can say to you, I've never seen a useful and encouraging servant who has not been a person of the word. I've never seen in the body of Christ, and I think I have enough water under the bridge to say this with some accuracy, I've never seen a, a faithful, useful, fervent servant of the, of the Lord in the church who was not also a mighty student of the word in their own way, to their own level. But they knew the word. They loved the Lord of the word. They were regularly in the word. They were eager to sit under the teaching and preaching of the word. They leaned in every time the word was read or taught. They were students of the word, therefore they were good servants of the word. Third, Mark, you're going to be here a long time. If I spend that much time on each of them, I won't. The third is trained. Apollos is trained. See that in verse 25, you've been instructed in the way of the Lord. Speaking obviously not just of the Old Testament scriptures, but of the way of Jesus Christ. Remember the followers of Christ were known early on as followers of the way. This is what he's trained in, the way of Jesus. He knew the gospel. He's a gospel preacher. He's well-trained in the new life in Christ. This means that though he was greatly gifted and had a thorough knowledge of the scriptures, he had submitted himself to the training of others. He had sought out people who knew more than him, and he had learned from them all that he could. He had grabbed those sponges and squeezed every ounce of knowledge out of them that he could, and he moved on to someone else. This is the mark of an effective servant. They're always looking for ways to improve in their knowledge of God and of his way. They're always striking up relationships with those who are further along in the faith. It should mark us who are immature in the faith to be seeking those who are mature in the faith to say to them, teach us the way of Christ. Help me know what this looks like in my home, at my job, at my school. Help me walk after Christ. You have been doing it. And they will likely say to you, oh, I don't know how to tell you to do that. Then just start asking questions. You've done it well. I do this with our dads all the time as they've raised kids who know and love Jesus. I ask them, what have you done? Oh, I don't know. Okay, let me start asking more specific questions. What did you specifically do with your kids to help them get in the Bible? Just ask constant questions of them to learn from them so I can walk in their steps following the Lord as they follow him. Apollos was trained. He also was fervent in verse 25, the fourth mark. He was fervent in spirit. 
This could mean that he was fervent with respect to the Spirit of God, or it could mean that he was fervent in his own spirit, meaning he was passionate and enthusiastic about his ministry. I think the context of the, of the passage is pointing to that idea, that he was fervent in his own spirit. The word means to, to boil over or to be seething with, to have it permeate every part of you. That's the fervency of Apollos. He knew he was gifted. Often gifted people are not fervent. Some of the most gifted athletes never last but a season in the pros because they're apathetic about their gifted. They think they're so gifted they can just show up and be the superstar of every game. But Apollos, moved along by grace, was gifted and fervent, giving himself in entirety to the work that his gifting called him to. He had received some of the best training in the world. He had been discipled by some of the godliest of Christians in the world. Therefore, he was fervent in spirit. You see how those things combine? He's gifted, well-trained, well-discipled, and now he's fervent. He wants to be used by the Lord. That speaks to his focus in ministry. This is not about Apollos. He's not out to create his own kingdom in the church, make a name for himself, build his own platform. Rather, he understood the character and the nature of Christ. He knew the revelation of God. He rejoiced in the provision of God and salvation through his son. And he was zealous to serve God however he could. He was fervent in spirit. Does that mark your service to the Lord? And maybe I can just confessionally say when I am not marked by that, it is always because I have failed to remember I am forgetful in that moment. So when I'm waning in fervency to serve the Lord, it is because I have forgotten something. Namely, two things. I have forgotten who I am and who I serve. I've turned my attention entirely to me or to my circumstances or to how hard it is to serve the Lord or any other number of things and I get disheartened and discouraged and I lack fervency. I become lazy and apathetic and I just want God to take it all away. And guaranteed in that moment, every time, I am not thinking high thoughts about God. And I am not thinking low thoughts about myself. I have forgotten who I am, saved by grace, a sinner, destitute, deserving of eternal death before a righteous and holy God, but rescued by his grace. And I have forgotten who Christ is. My Lord who saved me and has called me to ministry, to serve him by his grace. Apollo seems to grasp that and be fervent in spirit. He's also accurate. That's the fifth mark I see in his life. His enthusiasm was not him then flippantly throwing out things in his teaching which were inaccurate. Rather, he was careful to clearly and truly communicate the truth he knew well. He was a, a fervent student and an accurate teacher of the word. He didn't know everything yet. We'll see that in just a minute. The text says he only knew the baptism of John. He, he knew of Jesus. He knew the gospel and he spoke it as clearly as he could and as accurately as he could. But notice that he doesn't sit around and wait until he has it all down before he goes and serves the Lord. This ought to be tremendously encouraging to all of us tonight. You don't have to attain to the highest level of Apollos before you can go and serve like Apollos. He didn't. He went and served the Lord in his fervency of spirit as accurately and as truthfully as he could 
which is all any of us can do. He does this to the level of the truth that he knows. The text says he only knew the baptism of John. It's honestly a difficult idea to parse out in the life of Apollos. What does that mean? Some commentators think that means he wasn't a believer at all. He hadn't yet heard of Christ and him crucified, buried and risen again. It seems impossible to me. I just can't get my head around that in any way. Certainly he knew of Christ. He had learned the way of Jesus, the way of the Lord, as we saw already in verse 25. And so now he comes preaching Christ, but he's only been trained in the baptism of John, which we'll find out in chapter 19 is a baptism of repentance. We already know that from the Gospels, but it'll be reiterated by Luke here that it's a baptism of repentance. And he only knew that baptism. He didn't know the baptism into Father, Son, and Spirit as a symbol after conversion. Why he didn't know that, I don't know. Nobody had told him yet. He was deficient in his understanding of the truth. He preached as accurately as he knew. He was also then bold. That's the sixth mark. He was bold. He boldly entered the synagogue, came to Ephesus, getting established in the city. He then goes into the Jewish hub of life and worship, the local synagogue, and he began to boldly proclaim the truth as far as he understood it. He was on equal ground as a Jewish man in the synagogue. He could stand up and say whatever he wanted to say in light of the scriptures, teaching the scriptures. So he took advantage of that opportunity and that platform. And with eloquent speech in front of Jewish people, believers and unbelievers alike, he boldly proclaimed the truth of the gospel as much as he understood. This is similar to the mark of his fervency, but it's, it's more than that. It's the mark of a man who's gripped with the scriptures and who is competent in the scriptures and therefore is compelled not to just be fervent in spirit, but to be bold with the scriptures to be clear and to look for ways to get the truth out there, to help others understand it, to be compassionate and kind and merciful. Boldness does not mean crassness, does not mean abrasiveness, does not mean rudeness. Boldness simply means speaking the truth in love, in the hardest of moments, to the hardest of people, dependent on the Spirit to open their blind eyes can tell you so much of my timidity through the years as it relates to particularly the gospel can be traced back to my own not being gripped with the scriptures and with the grace of Christ. It's in those moments I'm consumed again with, with me, with, with my vain importance, which is none at all. Lost sight of the great grace of Christ and the glorious truth of Christ. So in that moment, I don't want to say anything because I'm, I'm thinking mostly about me. But Apollos is so gripped with the scriptures. He's so mighty in the word and he's so fervent in the spirit with his giftedness, he can't help but be bold. He's so filled with the truth that, like Spurgeon said of John Bunyan, you prick him and he bleeds bib line. Which I think we'd say the same of, of Spurgeon, right? Everything that comes out of him is Scripture informed by and shaped by the truth of the word of God. And when that's true of you, you're going to be bold to say it because you know the truth. And you've been set free by the truth and you want others to know the truth. Seventh Mark, he's teachable. His boldness was not bullheadedness. His boldness was not bullheadedness. This is so often the case, especially for young servants of the Lord who go off to college or seminary learn their Greek and Hebrew and their 
systematic theology and come back and set their pastor straight. Boldly and bullheadedly telling everyone else what they found out to be true while they were away from the body of Christ. This is not Apollos. He did not keep himself from being blessed by ongoing discipleship. This is an astounding verse. But this is, I think, one of the most glorious phrases in the book of Acts, and that's saying something. I'm prone to overstatement, so maybe that is one. But look at what he says in verse 26. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Those of you who are teachers of the word or teachers in general, one of the hardest things to receive is helpful critique. It makes it much easier when the person coming to you with that critique is further along in the faith than you are. And when you know their maturity in the Lord, it's easy to say, teach me what you know. It's all the more easy to receive when they come the way Priscilla and Aquila did. They didn't stand up in the synagogue and set him straight in front of everybody. They took him aside and graciously taught him from the word. They they argued with him from the word, as it were. They laid plain the truth of the scripture, things they already knew and heard. And Apollos, here's the kicker for me in the text, Apollos gladly receives their instruction. And I know that because in verse 27, he goes out and keeps teaching. And he teaches more accurately than he had before. And he's commended by Paul in the letter to Corinth in 1 Corinthians. He joyfully and gladly receives the instruction of older saints into his life and teaching. Friend, no servant of the Lord can platform pride in their hearts and continue to be useful and helpful. It just doesn't go together. You cannot serve God and man at the same time. And pride serves you. And where pride has entered into your service, you are no longer serving Christ. And you are no longer then being effective for Christ. Apollos was mighty in the scriptures, gifted beyond anyone else, and had a good grasp of the truth, and yet knew that he needed to learn more. Always teachable. This is one mark I look for so often in the body of Christ and skilled servants is are they humble? Are they teachable? Are they wanting to grow? Do they know they haven't attained it all? Do they know they need to grasp more of the grace and knowledge of Christ? Eighth mark, he's responsive. In verse 27, he received that tutelage from Priscilla and Aquila. That compels him out to go over to Achaia And the brothers in Ephesus, the verse says, write him a letter of commendation that he should be welcomed and received there. And I I just think this is another aspect of Apollos' humility. He's responsive to his training, and then he continues in his zeal. But it's not a zeal that's a, a pioneering kind of zeal. I was talking with somebody recently about church planting and, and the, the kind of maverick that it takes often to, to go plant churches. But just the, the dog-eat-dog kind of world that church planting tends to be. There's a lot, of, a lot of pioneering spirits out there in church planting who have really just kind of shucked the counsel of the local church and, and just, they're going to go do it right. And this is not every church planter. This is not bemoaning church planting. I love church planting. 
I'm all about it. We support, over half of our mission support goes to church planning. So no, I'm not saying that. But it is a field ripe for pioneering pride. Because I'm going to go do it the way that all the other churches have failed to do it. I'm going to go create a church that finally gets it right. Well, that is not Apollos here. See how he responds to the tutelage of Priscilla and Aquila, and then he continues on in his eager zeal to bless the church, and then he receives the commendation of the church, meaning he is encouraged by them to go do what he wants to do. In other words, he said to them, I want to go there, and they said, we think you're ready, that's a good thing, go with our blessing. And he says, praise God, I'll go with your blessing. And he goes in response to the leadership and direction of the local church in Ephesus. He was gospel and church-centered in his ministry, showing he was responsive to their counsel, blessing, and encouragement. Last mark, he was edifying. This is the culminating mark of this servant of the Lord. Flows from the heart posture of service we've seen in Apollos. This great blessing he provides is a blessing to those who had believed through grace, we see in verses 27 and 28. Notice how he was a blessing to the believers in Achaia and namely in Corinth, we find out later. He was a blessing because he blessed their faith and refuted the false faith of the Jews in public, showing them from the scriptures how it was that Jesus was the Christ. The word for powerfully in the text is only used here and in Luke 23.10. Luke 23.10, your mind's working, you're thinking that's in the Passion Week of Jesus, you're right, it's that one of his trials, namely the trial before Herod. And the, the context there is that the Jewish leaders vehemently or powerfully, same word, argued and accused Jesus before Herod. That's the idea of what Apollos is doing in the synagogue in Achaia. He is powerfully, vehemently, with great zeal and vigor in a hot debate defending the truth. The word for refuted is an intensive form of the word for convict. Vine says that Apollos met the opposing arguments in turn and brought them down to the ground. Met the opposing arguments in turn and brought them down to the ground. In other words, he's deconstructing their arguments against the truth because he is mighty in the scriptures. He's powerfully, vigorously, energetically defending and arguing for the truth in the public forum of the synagogue to prove to them from their own scriptures, the Old Testament, that God promised a Messiah who must suffer and that Jesus of Nazareth is that Messiah who suffered, bled, died, was buried, and rose again in victory over sin and death and hell. That kind of apologetics ministry is a blessing to the local church. That kind of defense of the truth is a blessing, particularly to the believers in Achaia who are still in the synagogue, apparently. They're still transitioning out of, of Jewish worship into the worship that will become the worship of the church. They're still trapped in the systems of the synagogue. And here comes Apollos, mighty in the scriptures, powerfully defending the truth of Jesus as the Christ, which they've been claiming and believing. And they haven't known how to get over the arguments of those more wise, more smart than they are in the room. And here enters, by the grace of God, a man powerfully able to defend the truth of the scripture. And he is 
edifying to the church. You want to be a good servant of Christ and know the word so well that whether you do this publicly or not, you can dissect the wrong theories and thoughts of every false system. You don't need to know them all. You need to know the truth. You don't need to understand every counterfeit. You need to know the word. And in knowing the word, when it comes up, you'll be able to say, well, I know what's wrong with that. Here's a text that clearly explains how that's wrong. That's exactly what Apollos did with fervency, and it blessed the church. So Apollos was a mighty servant for the Lord, greatly used by the Lord, and greatly usable before the Lord, meaning he laid it before the Lord and said, Lord, use me however you would have me to be used. He worked hard to know the scriptures. He maintained a heart attitude of humble teachability. He was bold and fervent in spirit, eager to serve the Lord with the gifts he had been given. He was a mighty servant. The application here to your own heart and life is so obvious, I don't even need to make it. So may God, by his spirit, impress upon you what of these you need to pursue, grow, and develop in your own heart that we might be all the more effective servants for our Lord. Let's pray to that end. Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for Apollos and his example. Thank you for your grace that you gave to Apollos to make him mighty in the scriptures, the training and the discipleship. Thank you for the example of Priscilla and Aquila humbly, graciously, kindly, and yet fervently pleading with Apollos about the truth. Thank you for using them in his discipleship. Thank you, Father, for that picture of the body and the life of the body that we see even here at Newton Bible. We pray that you would make us more effective servants, put these marks that are true in Apollos, our brother, into us, and use us however you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen.